This is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good? The podcast where we take a movie from the past, give it a thorough rewatching, and ask the question, is that movie still good? Today, we're going to go back to your old bedroom, look under the mattress, and see if those playboys that you left there are still there, and if you still like them. This week, we're going to do a deep dive into the CD world of porn as we revisit 1997's Boogie Nights. So hang on to your hats, folks. Here we go. Boogie Nights on Is That Movie Still Good? Welcome back, friends. This is Is That Movie Still Good? Uh, welcome in. We have gone through Halloween. Hopefully, everybody's having a great fall. Um, we are doing our thing, listening to podcasts, making, watching movies, and... Uh, Getting into it. So we are going to go back to 1997 tonight and look at Boogie Nights. Uh, Nate, do you remember this one? I do. And, and what, I, what I really like about this movie is that it's a, a traditional love story. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's what, what you look for, you know, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Obviously. Um, actually it's the, well, the thing I love about this movie is there is not a love story in this movie. It's right. just straight up porn. There is no love in porn. Is there? No. And, and we can talk a lot about the characters in this movie and like really what they're about, because this is a movie about the porn industry and, and its transformation. But it, there's also some really depth to characters here. Uh, yeah, and it, and it's it's based in 1977, right? So um, it runs what 77 through 83, 84, yeah, something early, like that. Early to mid 80s. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you kind of if you kind of parallel it with some other like things, you know, this is kind of the end of disco. Um, it's the uh, uh, kind of beginning a new wave. So it's very very transformational, just in the general sense of culture, pop culture in and of itself. So, but then you kind of add in that extra layer of it's also you know, you know. Southern California, L.A., porno industry, too. Right. It, it opens up, and it just says San Fernando Valley, 1977. And if any of you all are familiar with Southern California, the San Fernando Valley is sometimes called the San Pornando Valley because that is the home of the porn industry. Yeah, and, 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 it, and, it, and it's kind of loosely based on some real characters, um, but uh, in, some, in a lot of different ways. Right. Um, it actually has a couple of people in it that were part of the porn industry. Yes. Um, the porn industry somewhat accepted it. Um, and then legitimized it to a degree. So, I mean, it's a very interesting movie, especially coming out like in the late nineties, cause it, it came out right around the same time as the Bill Clinton scandals. Yeah. It was in the middle of all of that action. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of an interesting timing for kind of a, obviously a sexualized movie. Um, especially what was going on in the country at the time. But the movie in and of itself, um, even though, you know, the content uh, obviously is definitely adult theme. This probably isn't one you want to watch with your kids. Correct. Um, but it's actually not as bad as if you've never seen it as you would think. Well, that's exactly right. We, I was talking about the podcast with my father-in-law recently, and I told him we were talking about movies we were going to do. And I talked about Boogie Nights, and uh, I saw him a couple of weeks later, and he said, so I rewatched Boogie Nights. He's a big movie guy. And he said, I thought when you talked about that, that that's just nothing but a porno. But there's a lot of really good stuff going on there. And there's a lot of depth of character. And so ultimately, and this is a question that we'll ask and answer later, but is this movie really about porn or is it about something else? Right. And and I think it could go a lot of different directions. And I think where, where this movie really is attractive is what you mentioned a few moments ago, just the cast of characters, um, both from just an actor standpoint, you know, who these people are in real life, 
but it's then the easily, characters... it's easily the best cast we've done, right? As far as the number of great actors in this. Well, ironically, the only real challenge would be the other Burt Reynolds movie that we did. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> and, and why was Don DeLuise not in Boogie Nights? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, there had to be a place for him somewhere. He was still alive. He could have played Ron Jeremy. He could have totally played Ron Jeremy. Except, except that, that Paul Thomas Anderson did spend a lot of time with Ron Jeremy in researching this film. And Ron Jeremy was scheduled to have a cameo in this and filmed it, I think, and it got cut. Yeah, it did, it did get filmed, but it did get cut. Right. And this wasn't the scene that, that caused this, but it actually a few things got, had to get cut from the movie because they originally got popped with an NC-17. Right, right. And so they, I think they had to take out two or three minutes to get back down Not to an much, R. but they had to cut out enough to yeah. get back down to an R. Yeah, um, but it's not as graphic. It's no more graphic. I mean, like, if you've seen, like, it, it, I mean, Wolf on Wall Street's worse than this. Easily. It, Easily. Not even close. Yeah. yeah. It's, there's as a far lot. as sexual, yes. sexualization. Yes. Yeah. Now, that, now, but there is, obviously, cursing, violence, that type of stuff, too. But it, it's a it's an interesting story, and it really centers around what I would probably say. I mean, I, I can't decide who is the main character in this movie. I know everybody's needle would point towards Mark Wahlberg as Dirk Diggler. Right. But, but is Burt Reynolds, Jack Horner, really the main character? That, I think that's exactly right. Like, we were watching this, and my wife was watching it with me, and I love it when she watches movies with me uh, that we're doing for the pod because it gives me another perspective. But as we're about 30 minutes into this movie, I said, Mark Wahlberg is the star, but this is Burt Reynolds' movie, right? Like, Jack, this is his movie, isn't it? A yeah. little bit. Well, and the funny thing is, is any interview that Burt Reynolds did about this movie after the fact, he did not like this movie. He did not like the director. They got actually, I think, got the they punches. They got into a one, fist, fist fight. fight at one point. He didn't want to do it. He told P.T. Anderson seven times, I'm not doing this movie. And he basically said, and the last time they talked before he accepted the role, when Burt Reynolds said, I'm not doing this and never call me again, and he lost his mind on him. And Paul Thomas Anderson said, if you bring that passion and you bring that attitude to this movie, you'll get nominated for an Oscar. And he was. And he was. For the only time in his career. Correct. And he won the Golden Globe, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. So, and it, and it pretty much essentially is probably the last really good thing Burt did. It is. It's, yeah, it's the last really good thing he did. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so you know, as we talked about this movie, kind of though centralizes itself around Dirk Diggler. The right. Mark Wahlberg character. Um, who's a dishwasher at a nightclub, right. you know, as the movie starts and it's a nightclub where Burt Reynolds character comes in and Burt Reynolds is with, I, I don't, I, I don't, I still don't understand what the relationship between him and Julianne Moore yeah, is. Her name is Amber Waves in the film and we're not really sure. They live together. Are they married? Are they just lovers? Are they just, you know, a couple, th- th- does he support her? We don't really know. Um, but they're there together. And, um, well, he has a very kind of like Hugh Hefner type house where there's a lot of different people that like kind of live right. with them. Um, cause essentially what happens is they, he sees Mark Wahlberg's character. He, he's not Dirk Diggler yet. He's Eddie, Eddie Adams. Eddie. Yeah. Eddie Adams. And he, you know, meets him and he talks to him and he's kind of interested in recruiting him into the business. And then we get kind of a cut scene over to where you find out that Eddie's home life is not very good not at very all. Good. Well, let me, let's go back to that first scene yeah. for a minute before we get too deep into that. Yeah. Because I think Paul Thomas Anderson does a couple, there's some really interesting scenes that he does here. That opening sequence at the nightclub is very reminiscent of the Copacabana scene in Goodfellas. Yeah, it and, it's, a, and, well, and, it's, and, it's, and it's uncut. It's, it's, it's straight. Uncut. It's, a, it's a one cut one camera shot yeah. going back and forth. And you are basically introduced to all of the major players immediately. And I think it's a brilliant shot. It's one that, you know, 
People yeah. have done it, but it's very reminiscent of Goodfellas at the so, Okay, so let's let's talk about these characters for a little bit. Okay. And not the actors, the actual characters. Because we might do this a little differently than we've done in the past because it is such a big ensemble. Because the characters drive this movie. Yes. And I did not pick all of them out, so if I miss one that you want to bring in, please do. Okay. So let's start Jack Horner, mm-hmm. Bert, the Burt Reynolds character. He's um, the director of the porn Right. Very professional. You don't see him drink much. You never see him do drugs. You never see him anything sexual. No. The most sexual he gets is he kisses Julianne more on the shoulder towards the end of the movie, which mm-hmm. is kind of a cute little scene. Very business. Yeah, he, he's got all of these people involved in porn, and they're doing drugs, and he's setting it all up, right? Like, they're drinking at his bar, and they're snorting coke in his bathroom, but he's above yeah, like, the fray. Like, like, like he's the, above the he fray. Is about, like, one of the first parties, some random girl that doesn't really play a major part comes in and is like, you know, hey, do you have any coke here? And he's like, I'm sure we can find you some. Right. You know? Right. It, it totally whatever. reminds me of probably what it was like at the Playboy Mansion with you Yeah, after. Yeah, probably right. It, you know, that you, you got to kind of stay kind of above, like you said, above the fray a little bit. But here's the weird thing about him. In the scenes where they're actually filming porn and he's watching it, he just really seems to be enjoying it yeah yeah that i mean sitting there and enjoying it well he fancies himself a filmmaker right and one of the big themes throughout this is as the porn industry is transforming from reel-to-reel film to video he views himself as a filmmaker he sees himself as an artist he does he does and And that plays in several places yes and he loves it he loves his art all right so then we have amber waves Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned excuse me and that's julianne moore and she lives at the house, and you kind of feel like her and Burt Reynolds kind of have a thing going. But, you know, even in the opening scene at the house, she goes to bed before him. So we don't even know if they sleep in the same room. They might not. It, it appears as though they don't. Right. So I don't even know I don't even know if they're lovers as much as just maybe because she's kind of the mother head. Right. Because she's obviously older, uh-huh. and a lot of the actors are younger, you know, and typically are obviously coming from kind of bad homes and probably did not have good parental relationships. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of is the mother hen for all these people. And the way that I envision it is that probably she and, and Horner were lovers. She was probably a porn star at some point. They became attached. They became together. And she's still, a, you know, she's still there. She's this aging porn star. But they have this relationship that is kind of weathered this time. And they just sort of accept you know, she's a porn star. I live here. She's kind of my He's girl. A director. Yeah, yeah. Right. Try, and she's a, a girl I go out with to dinner and stuff like that's that. Right. That's you know, right. the companion. Right. Companion. And, and you know, if he wants to get, if, get a little freaky, he probably freak, gets a little freaky with her. I'm sure, I'm sure he has lots of options. Right. <laughs> he probably has lots of <laughs> options. Um, and then the, and the kind of the backstory on her is she's actually kind of fighting for, well, she, she's divorced. And her son lives with the the son's dad, and there's kind of a custody dispute that kind of goes on, and her never being able to talk to the son. So that's kind of a little, kind of her realism, kind of yeah. behind the, the the scenes on this. Well, one. I think it's you know it's one of those things that we see play out as we talk through these characters is they become what they are, and they still have these pieces that haunt them, and you know a lot of them have gotten here by making bad choices or whatever it is, um, and. One of the things that I think – I was going to say this at the end, but I'll go ahead and bring this out. Like everybody in this movie, in this industry, can kind of take the emotion out of the sex, but there's always this emotional layer underneath their persona where something is really getting at them. And with her, it's this situation where she doesn't have custody of her son, but she doesn't really do anything to change it and make it better. Right. Um, but but 
But at I, the same time, she has that kind of motherly instinct. Well, all she becomes the, a surrogate to right. these porn stars who come into this fold. Right, exactly. Um, so our, our next big um, character here is Roller Girl by Heather Graham. Yep. How would you describe Roller Girl? Roller Girl's young. Um, she is a, a young, pretty girl, probably new to the porn scene, very energetic, very interesting. Now, she lives at the house, too. Yes. Um, and her big bit is she never takes her roller skates off. Never. And we see her in high school. She's like flunking out of high school and she stands up in the, like they're given an exam and she doesn't know anything. And so she just stands up and roller skates out of high school. That never happened at my high school. Nobody wore roller skates to school. Well, but this was 77 too. I, yeah. And that, I mean, this was back when, you know, like places like Sonic, you know, they would actually right. have the roller that, skating waitresses. I mean, roller skating is, 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 as much as, you know, people still know roller skating and you have the kid roller skating parties. This was also, not only was it like the, like, you know, the, the, the top of like disco and things like that, but roller skating was a big part of that. It was for sure. I still can't imagine a high school principal being cool with that. Uh, okay, well, you know, who knows? We'll I, see. I, I, but no, we'll see. We'll have, to, we'll have to do some research on that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you are a high school principal who has allowed roller skates in your high school, let us know. Let us know. Please do. Then we have Reed Rothschild. Uh-huh. And this is John C. Riley. And, and now John C. Riley, just, and we'll talk more about him later, obviously. But, I mean, he's a great sidekick. Well, and that's it. That's and, it. And, like, this, he's, and he's, this might be one of his best sidekick roles. Absolutely. He's typecast. He becomes this sidekick in almost everything he's in now, whether it's in Talladega Nights or in, in, in this one or in Step, Step Brothers. Brothers yeah. Like it's it's always second fiddle, but he plays it better than anybody in the business. Oh, and he's great. And his character in this movie is just so awesome. And I, I'm not, I don't want to talk about the scene yet because I actually have it as like one of my two favorite scenes in this movie. But he's just like, he just thinks he's so much cooler than he really right, is. Absolutely. <laughs> it's great. Well, and as soon as he meets Dirk, they're... No, no, Eddie. that's the scene. Oh, do you oh, want to okay. go to that? Go to that? Because, I, I mean, we can... Well, we'll, we'll, just, we'll come back to we'll that hold, real quick. Okay, we'll, okay, hold, okay. hold that for a second, because I, got, okay. a, I, I okay. got a lot on that one, because I think it's so good. All right. Then we have Buck Swope. I love Buck Swope. <laughs> there, in our town, there is a massive car dealership organization with the Swope name. I like to pretend that Buck Swope is the uh, the patriarch of that. <laughs> that he's part of that. And, and so, so Buck Buck Swope's play played by Don Cheadle, and he. So number one, he completely has this identity crisis yes. where he doesn't like he 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 can never like decide who he wants to be. Like in the beginning of the movie, he's like dressed as a cowboy right, and listening to right. country western music. Then he, then he, like, in, in one of the other porn stars that isn't as big of a, a, a role in this, at one point is telling him, like, you just need to pick an identity. Right. And so next thing you know, he comes out. I don't even know what he is. He's, like, got these that, dreads that, yeah, and, that, like, that, some like, Egyptian. It's, yeah, it, it's almost like some dreadlocked choir singer or something, <laughs> yeah. man. It's, it's crazy. But he, but he has his dreams. He's very aspirational. He, he is one of the most likable characters in this film, Absolutely. I think. Absolutely. Um, because he, he, he's in the industry but he also sees the bigger picture and wants out, right? He wants to legitimize a little bit, I he, think. He, he does. He wants to own and open up his own stereo store. Right. Hi-fi stereo store. Well, and, and he's so funny because we, we are introduced to him in his cowboy get-up selling stereo stuff. And he's like, oh, you got to get this with the TK421 add-on. The TK421. He's like, the TK421. Which, of course, is a Star Wars reference. Right. Which has nothing to do with the stereo. There, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's so like funny. two or three Star Wars references. Yeah. Which... If you remember, Star Wars came out in 1977. 77, yep. So, you know, it would have been big then. All right, then we have uh, Little Bill Thompson. Yes. Played by by William William H. Macy. William H. Macy. (laughs) This is, like, such an interesting character. He really does not do much in this movie. 
He's a, he's like a sound guy, or he's not a sound guy. He's like a, like kind of an assistant director type yeah, he, person. He's on the on the sound. He's on the sound and, and the the visual. He's like the cinematographer is what right. he is. Yeah, and um, every party and there's lots of parties in this movie. Every party, his he finds his wife having very open public sex with somebody else. Yeah, and it's and he's just this total sad sack throughout the whole film. And it almost becomes like a running gag. Yes. Um, until like one night at a party, he kills her. Right. And then kills himself. And that was kind of sad. But um, It was sad, but the first time I watched it, I found it more comic than I did sad. Like, it, it did have some kind of comic sort of situation It, it there, did, right? it did. Yeah, as, as graphic as it was, there was some comic to it. Now, you know the person that played his wife it, was an actual porn star. It's Nina Hartley. She's an actual porn star. Very, very famous. Um, so, and, and I don't know if you noticed this, but looking at her versus looking at the other Hollywood actor actresses, there's a definite difference to the look, right? Like the face, of and, uh, it's totally different. And 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 then it also made me wonder. Well, I mean, is she really doing it with those dudes? Probably, probably, <laughs> probably. Though I do believe the actors' union does have some very strict policies yeah, about yeah. that. You know, quickly back to Burt Reynolds, and once he got this gig, he he went to study going to porn shoots and going to hang out with porn directors and and watching it and and. He said two things. Number one, when I walked out of there, I felt like I needed to wear rubber gloves and I just wanted to wash my whole body. And secondly, he said every single one I went to, without a doubt, the first question out of the porn actors' mouths were, how do I get my SAG card? Yeah, yeah. How do I get my SAG card? Yeah, yeah. They all want to become become legitimate. Legit, yeah. Yeah, and it's um, uh, the closest we've probably seen to the Stallone. Yeah. I mean, and his was soft, soft. Right, right. But, I mean, if you've done hardcore, I think it's probably pretty hard to cross that line. Yeah, I mean, like, Tracy Lords tried it, but she was a horrible actress, and um, th- there aren't very many. Yeah, yeah, it's probably challenging. And, and so, basically, you have to go, like, the, the again, the Ron Jeremy route and just sort of become a reality star and just sort of capitalize on, I'm a big porn star, so I'm going to make some money doing that. Right, right, exactly. All right, so now we have, then we have Scotty. Uh-huh. Who's Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I forgot was in this movie, and he he's the actual he's the was a key grip, yeah, best boy, best something boy, like the that. guy that holds the big long microphone, and he's always wearing tank tops that are ill fitting over his belly. Paul Thomas Anderson said when he wrote this this role, he had Philip Seymour Hoffman in mind for it, and and Philip Seymour Hoffman read a, a piece of it, like a, like read for it, but he didn't know what the movie was about. And and so he got the gig, and then he then he found out what the movie was actually about, and yeah. what his actual role was. Right. And, but, he, and, and the the interesting thing about Scotty is Scotty is in love with Dirk Diggler. Dirk Diggler. And that brings us to Dirk Diggler. Mm-hmm. So Mark Wahlberg's character, the character is great because you know once again let's con- contextualize it. It's late seventies in in the very early scene when he gets into the big fight with his mom. It, it happens in his bedroom. So you see all his bedroom posters and like all the Bruce all the Lee posters Farrah Fawcett and, Farrah Fawcett. and Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. And, and he would just like kind of do this thing where he was like always kung fuing and um, was like I'm going to be a star. You know, really bought into himself. But in a very and this is what I remember watching the movie in the '90s was, you know, at the time before Wahlberg and you know Wahlberg's very successful, but at the time, really, he had done his Marky Mark stuff, right? Really, not much in the movies. He was like super known for his underwear commercials, mm-hmm. and 
the role of the Dirk Diggler character was really like, you know, I'm awesome. I'm going to make it. I, I'm going to be a star. And, you know, I kind of really kind of have no problem visualizing Mark Wahlberg in real life doing the same thing. I, I, I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he did it, you know, good for him. So that's kind of like what I, I kind of, I know I'm missing a few big ones just cause I, you know, but to me, those were like kind of the core characters. Obviously you have the producer guy, yeah, the Colonel, the Colonel, yeah. you know, there's some other ones that are in there, but um, yeah, we get introduced uh, to a couple more down the road, but those are the big players in this film. Yeah. And, and I mean, right there is like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's nine people right there. And there's probably at least three or four other ones we could have added. Right. So that's when we talk about this being like, like the, and this is different than Cannonball Run. Because right. Because Cannonball Run, everybody was kind of off in pairs doing their own thing. And this is like everything's in a blender. Mm-hmm. Everything's in a porn blender. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever been in a porn blender? I, no. No. Yeah, me neither. I, it sounds uncomfortable. So so let me ask you this um, quickly talking about a porn blender. Um, <laughs> when you saw this movie the first time, what did you think? Um, I, I, I thought that it was well done. Yeah. I, I, because I, 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 I remember kind of even questioning the content at the time of just like, how are they going to do this movie? But they raked in enough star power to where it was still compelling. And then it was kind of getting some decent reviews coming out of the gate. And it was just, there was a curiosity about it. Yeah. Um, and then watching it, it was like, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but it was still, it kept me glued. Yeah. So I walked out of the theater loving this movie. Um, it came out in 97, so I was 25 at the time. And I had lived a fairly sheltered existence and not a lot of party business. I mean, I went to college, but it wasn't over the top because uh, I was trying to be a scholar. Um, and I How'd walked that work out, out. It worked out all right. Like, I, I'm doing all right. But I walked out of there thinking... Oh my God. Like even everything that had happened, like if there had been a cocaine bar in the parking lot, I might've done it. All things <laughs> being equal. Now, obviously I didn't, obviously that that's just sort of this thing. Like, I, but I also realized that the allure of the fame and the party life and all of that, like, I was like, well, it's probably pretty good. I didn't get into that. Well, and, and, and also it was in LA. This movie yeah, was in LA right, right. And, and you were in Lexington. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's already uh, November in Kentucky and uh, the weather sucks. Um, in November in LA, it's probably pretty nice. It's outside. still 75. It's, it's still nice outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's still sunny. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, great cast. And, and it really, I think it kind of like ushered in a new wave of talent, too. Like I said, we hadn't really seen Wahlberg do anything. John C. Riley hadn't really done much he, before yeah, this. Yeah, we've seen him a few things, but not much. Not too he, much. Philip Seymour Hoffman right. really hadn't done much. We've seen him again in small roles. But right. You, you're like, oh, I know that guy. I like him. But right. I don't know who that guy is. Right. Heather Graham really hadn't right. done Same much. Yes. Yeah, I mean, she'd been like, uh, wasn't she on um, uh, Twin Peaks or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and even even like you know Don uh, Don Cheadle he'd been in some things but you knew his face but once again it wasn't right he's not a household name yeah and I mean your big star power was Burt Reynolds because Julianne Moore really had not been in too many things either no no that's right and so you you kind of look back at this movie as one of those to where there was just brought in a lot of kind of new fresh upcoming talent uh, and it, and, it, and it turned out really really well. Yeah, I totally agree. Like this uh, again, and Paul Thomas Anderson has worked with several of these actors, you know, multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's used a lot of the same people, particularly 
the lesser characters, like um, the guy who comes in later on and, and is trying to convert everybody to video, he's prominent in Magnolia. And, and, and yeah, because there's because Paul, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's this was his second movie. Mm-hmm. Um, his first movie was one that was called Hard Eight. Right. And uh, like two or three different people from this movie were in Hard Eight. Hard Eight, yeah. Uh, and then then after this movie, he did Magnolia. Mm-hmm. And three or four people from this movie were in Magnolia. Magnolia. Now, you know. Julianne he, Moore's in Magnolia. Yeah. Well, several of them. When we yeah. start talking about the actors, I'll, uh, uh, I'll bring them up. But one interesting thing is he actually wanted Burt Reynolds to be in Magnolia and Burt Reynolds was like, no, no, I'm done. Because here's the other thing that Burt Reynolds said about him when we were talking earlier about how they didn't get along is, and, and, you know, Anderson's a, a good director, but I, I do have some critique that, that I'll share. But it was only his second movie, mm-hmm. and according to Burt Reynolds, I mean, Burt Reynolds is a veteran. Right. I mean, he's, he's legendary. We've covered that. Go back to yeah, last year and yeah, listen we're not to Cannonball gonna, Run. Right. We're not going to spend a lot of time. Listen to Cannonball Run for, for more on Burt Reynolds. And Burt Reynolds talked about how, like, he would film a scene and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson would act like, you know, this was so awesome that I filmed the scene this way. And Burt Reynolds would, like, just start, here's five other movies I've been in, you know, that have <laughs> yeah, filmed that yeah. exact same scene. Yeah. It's like that he was just kind of not, not cocky or arrogant, but more naive. You know, thinking that he was doing something brilliant that's been done a thousand times. Right, right. Well, and I think we see that through this mo- this movie. I talked about that uh, opening sequence, which is very good, fellas. There's a sequence later in the movie that's very Tarantino, John Woo, uh, and he and Tarantino are good friends, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, but that scene uh, in the donut shop is very, very Tarantino style. Oh, absolutely. A- absolutely. That, that's straight from a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Um, but so you you had mentioned earlier, and so so we'll get to it now. And this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. But when Horner uh, invites, well, it's still Eddie. He's still Eddie. He's still Eddie point. at this point to his house to meet everybody, and he meets Reed Rothschild, and Reed Rothschild's making a margarita. You want to mm-hmm. tell this one? No, I'll let you have this. This is yours. Oh, this one's great. And so, um, so Riley's John C. Riley's character, Reed Rothschild. And re- remember, John C. Riley, he's still got his curly hair. Oh, yeah. Now he's a little yeah. skinnier in this movie. Uh-huh. And, you know, Wahlberg's always been kind of buff. And Wahlberg's really naive. Or, d- d- you know, Eddie's very naive, yes. you know, at, at, yes. at this point. Well, very like naive. He's, he's lived in Reseda in this little house with his yeah. parents, and he hasn't been out. Like, he's from like, Torrance. Or Torrance, that's yeah, right. Torrance. Yeah, Reseda was a karate kid. Torrance. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie from Torrance. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he hasn't been out. He hasn't seen, he hasn't met anybody. Right, especially people like this. And so, and, and, and the, the Reed Rothschild character is like so smooth about it. So he's making a margarita, and he's like pouring the tequila in, and he's just kind of chatting, hey, how you doing? Where are you from? You know, how'd you get here? You work out? You know, where yeah. You, yeah, where, you know, where, where you work out at? Yeah. How much do you squat? <laughs> 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 and, then, and then Eddie's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know like, 200 he's trying to sound cool he's like 200 and reed's like uh, 350 yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how much do you bench <laughs> yeah. yeah it was just like and, and then they go get into the pool and like they're trying to do all these things and like reed tries to oh um uh, uh eddie's like i'm gonna do like a jackknife and he does a pretty decent jackknife and then reed's like i'm gonna do a flip and he completely like lands <laughs> on his back yeah. and that's what i was talking about earlier that john c Riley character like thinks he's so awesome <laughs> he's like just a total tool but Absolutely. like it, it's freaking and i love that kind of first scene when they first start getting to know each other because you, you see the bosom buddies forming uh-huh 
Absolutely. And we see that progress throughout the film. And they, they, they are in movies together, and then they, they create their own movie brand later on. Oh, like yeah. This, and, and it's, yeah, because, I mean, immediately as soon as... Uh, Dirt, as soon as well before he does any this says so let's talk about how he gets his name Dirk Diggler so later on at that same party at night mm-hmm. yes they're in the hot tub those two and then uh, Jack, Jack Horners, comes and gets in yeah. get, comes in and gets in and they start talking about hey you really want to do some movies and Eddie's like yeah man I'm in I'm in and and they were like you know earlier the colonel told him he needs a new name mm-hmm. and so they start talking about what his name is going to be and uh, Eddie's like. I had this like dream, this vision with these neon, know, neon lights, lights and they're just all popping and popping bursting, and exploding. And it says Dirk Diggler <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Jack's like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Right. And, and then you're the doing next, all the work for me. Yeah, perfect. Right. And then the next day, like when they actually go to, to film it, um, at one point, uh, Jack calls him Eddie and, and Whopper goes up to Burt Reynolds. He's like, no, no, call me Dirk Diggler from now on. <laughs> Doesn't he whisper in his ear or something? He's like, oh, yeah, that's right, Dirk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, and, and, and Dirk Diggler becomes like an instant superstar, superstar. in the industry. Like, he's winning porn awards, awards and... Best new actor, uh, yeah, uh, actor of the year. Yeah, he's... he's he, is, is there an EGOT for porn? <sighs> I don't know what that even would, would look like, but... <laughs> Let's do some research on that. There's got to be some form of an EGOT for porn. And if there was, Dirk Diggler won it. Easily, yes. He's, he's, maybe. I mean, I don't know if it's an EGOT, but like, it's, it's, it probably happens a lot in the porn industry. This is like Kevin Costner dances with wolves territory. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Well, like, you get the new kid on the block, and they're super popular, and they're in the, you know, everything, and everybody loves this guy. And um, we haven't mentioned this yet, and I think it's worthy to point out at some point that the the character of Dirk Diggler is loosely based on John Holmes. Well, and so, you know, obviously he was the the bright star in, in the porn sky in the late 70s and yeah. early 80s. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and it's loosely based on him, but at the same time, they actually at some point, like, make a comment about Holmes's movies. Yes. So they do a good job of basing the movie off of it and it's also based off of uh anderson had actually written like a short story yes. like when he was like 17 or 18 right, called right. the like what was it the dirt diggler Dirk, chronicles Dirk diggler Chron- he, like he made like a short that. film i don't yeah, know if it was like a, a film yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah about that um but you know we were talking about him uh winning all the awards all the right. porn adult adult industry awards so AVNs. when they filmed that scene did you hear about this which one? No, no. When they when they filmed the scene for the adult awards, when they oh. brought in all the extras, yeah. they just said, "Hey, dress nice. We're doing this award right, ceremony. Right. Wear seventies clothes. Wear seventies clothes. Come in. Come in. Dress yourselves. You know. Yep. You know and, and we're going to do this like scene for a movie. So all these people showed up. And then they, when, and then when they started the award ceremony, and the people, the extras that just came in, found out it was about porn. Like half of them got up yeah, and laughed. They had no idea. Like, <laughs> So and I mean, seriously, it's Southern California, man. Yeah, like, you, would, yeah. you would think it, it's yeah. not like you're dropping it down, you know, into Columbus, Georgia, or something. Yeah, I'll I'll respect the Columbus, Georgia. Well, you know, um, but but you know, Dirk like you know, is buying shoes, buying a house, buying. I mean, he's like a superstar. He buys like an orange Corvette. Oh, when he has that party at his house and he's showing showing him around. Oh, showing every like this the, is my dojo. <laughs> yeah. No, he's like, like everything is like, he's so like proud and so dorky about like everything. Yeah. Like, you know, so over the top. It's so over the top. Now they actually had a contest on set on who could be the worst actor when they were filming the porn. Right. Videos. Right. You know who won? 
No, who won? Julianne Moore. She was real bad. She, because, because, because uh, Paul Anderson wanted it to be, you know, because everybody knows porn acting is not good. Well, there's a. I'm gonna say this, and we can cut this if we need to. <laughs> My favorite Julianne Moore line in the whole movie, and I remember it from the first time I watched it, and I, I it makes me laugh every time I see it. And it's the first sex scene they're getting ready to do, and they're talking, and you know, he walks in, and they're horribly acting. And he takes his pants down, and she walks up. I'm going to have to inspect this. And then she grabs him and says, this is a giant cock. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> it was bad. It was so bad and hilarious. And that's why she won the award. Correct. Yeah. I don't know what the prize was, though. But then this is what you were talking about earlier that happens next is because we, we established Jack Horner wants to be a filmmaker. Yes. And Dirk Diggler wants to be taken more seriously, too. So he comes up, him, he, him and uh, Reed come up with this concept of like action porn. Action porn, right. Yeah, action porn. And, and, and Dirk fancies himself a kung fu master. And... <laughs> right. And, and so basically they, they, they pitch this to Jack where it's like kind of be like cop buddy type thing. Yeah. But then also have porn in it too. And do you remember their names? They, they were... Um, Brock Landers yep. and Chest Rockwell. Yes. Chest Rockwell, Chest Rockwell for a minute. Just let that sink in. Yes. Yeah. And, and that was actually like an awesome part of the Boogie Nights movie is these movies and how bad, yeah. how how good the real actors were acting this bad. bad yeah. That's actually one of my favorite things about Boogie Nights is it's like, you know, it's a bad movie inside of a good movie. Yeah. Well, and one of my favorite parts of the movie is when they decide they're going to make a record, and he oh, yeah. tries to sing. Well, that's yeah. oh, that's comedy, and that and, and that and that you know that comes a little bit later in the movie. But so so, let's talk a little bit about Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay, all right. So I mean, the guy's very well recognized as far as you know the Academy comes. He's been nominated for twenty five Oscars. Winning three, you know, 25 associated with his films, let me say. Right, right, yeah. He's been nominated personally eight times. He's never won one personally. Yeah. Now, um, well, yeah, yeah, he's never won one personally. Well, did he not get best, he was nominated for best director for Magnolia, right? Correct. And also for There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood was the big one that he got a lot of nominations for. Well, and he got, he was. And Phantom Thread. Yeah, and Phantom Thread, which I never saw Phantom Thread. I have which, which I love. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis is my favorite. I've said it a million times. Yeah, I still won't accept that like it's his last movie. But, but yeah, he he got the so his personal Oscar nominations: Best Original Screenplay for Boogie Nights and Magnolia, mm-hmm. Best Picture and Best Director for There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread, and then Best Adapted Screenplay for There Will Be Blood and Inherent Vice, and Original Screenplay for this one, Boogie Nights. Oh, I, oh, did I? I yeah, yeah I had it but original I screenplay I, I for I this one. Say it out loud. Um, now you know who his partner is, um, Maya Rudolph. Oh, Saturday okay. Night Live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which she's great. I love Maya Rudolph. Yeah, she's freaking hilarious. Um, you know, he also made Punch Drunk Love, right? Um, the Master, yep. with Walking Phoenix, yep. which I never saw. That was one of those. That's I was a like, weird one. That's a weird. Is one. it a weird yeah, one? Yeah, it's okay. a weird one. And I use, and I like Walking Phoenix. I do too. It's I think it's good, but it's weird. But I mean, a lot of his stuff is weird. Like I thought Magnolia was awesome, but I still don't know what the hell happened in that movie. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to watch that again. I've only seen it once. What? I thought Punch Drunk Love was great. Just a total different turn for Adam Sandler and a really enjoyable movie to me. Well, okay, so here's the interesting thing about Paul Thomas Anderson. He's no, Number one, he's been a producer on most of his movies. Mm-hmm. He's not very good at the box office. No, no, that's exactly right. Um, 
I did the math. Um, so basically, out of the eight movies that he's done through Phantom Thread, mm-hmm. only four of them have been profitable. Okay. Boogie Nights was profitable. Mm-hmm. Magnolia, mm-hmm. There Will Be Blood, mm-hmm. and Phantom Thread. Right. Of his eight movies, he's had a budget of $192 million and made $280 million. Granted, that's profitable, but what did we talk about last time? John Carper, what did he spend, like a dollar, and he made, like, you know, gold? Right. Well, and he was like, an alchemist. And, yeah, <laughs> well, and like what we talked about in a podcast last year, where we talked about the formula for making money, right? Like like superhero movies and reboots and sequels make money, and original, aggressive, and interesting things don't always do that. Well, and of the $90 million that he's made in his career, essentially over well over half of that has been his two Daniel Day-Lewis movies. Right, right. You know, and you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is always going to make a profit. Yeah. What, which, which one is your favorite of his? Uh, um, of all of his, of all the ones you've seen, the, I mean, there will be blood. I mean, I don't, I don't even think there's a question involved in that. One. I, that's a brilliant movie. That, for the record, I've said this ever since it happened. That movie should have won Best Picture, and I thought No Country for Old Men was great. I loved it. I love the Coen Brothers, but There Will Be Blood was the superior film. It was brilliant film. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, that's one of those. I, I, I agree. There will be blood. Probably want could want could have won. No, and and I and I can the thing with No Country for Old Men is I can't watch it again. Yeah, I I, I don't like if it, I've tried to watch it a second or third time and it just it drags. Is it because a bit. you know what's coming and you know how it's all rolling? Yeah, or? and it's just yeah, it just kind of is a little the pace of it. And, a, and, and the in the acting is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but I, like I, I mean I, I I I say it all the time. Daniel Day Lewis is just brilliant i can watch him in anything right well and this is sidetracked totally but that was a weird movie for the academy to finally recognize the coen brothers in my opinion it's not their best effort it's good but there's certainly been other ones that i thought were more deserving well you know i mean like like we talk about a lot the academy sometimes you know it's it's career achievement and they they do their it's 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 a weird thing so anyway back to boogie nights yeah back to boogie nights so so you, I had a question. Why don't his movies do so well at the box office? And I think your answer is that they're up against these kind of big pop Marvel, you know, comic book type stories. Right. Well, think about the people that go see movies, right? The ticket buyers are going to be like from 13 to 25 years old or the big bulk. Well, let's, let's say, okay, so let, let's, let's think about it this way. So if there's like a really good Paul Thomas Anderson movie or even a Scorsese movie, that came out, and me, you, and our buddies went to go watch it. What's that like? Four people? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yes, <laughs> that's right. And, 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 you know, that would actually go. We have more friends than that, right? But that but, actually go. But when the big Marvel movie comes out, fifteen high school kids of go to it together. Of course they do. Yes, and they, they got all two go. or three parents. Yes. going to at the same time. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the. That, I mean, ultimately, that's the math. That like that. And you bring in a Star Wars movie when you're bringing in like six to ten, twelve year olds too. Yes. I mean, it, 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 it compounds from there. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big thing. Um, an intellectual movie, a smart movie, and then you compound it with a rated an R rating, where like a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old can't go see it unless mom or dad buys a ticket, and so it makes it harder to make money on these, you know, um, pushing the envelope type movies. Yeah, uh, which is ironic because we are right in the midst of the highest grossing R rated movie of all time. Joker. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. You know, um, you know, but it's a comic book movie. <laughs> I mean, again, it's a comic book movie, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we go further, I want to talk for a minute about the soundtrack for this movie because I think the soundtrack for this movie is amazing. Um, and you know, we can talk about a couple of different types of soundtracks. You know, we've got the original orchestral score, like all the John Williams stuff, or which is obviously this is not. Or we can talk about a, a soundtrack with movie with music, particularly for the the film, like Saturday Night Fever or Footloose or Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and those are all great. But in terms of a movie where it's a curated list of music that you use with your film, this is it's in the top ten, right? Of soundtracks. Oh yeah, like not uh, you know. It pro- Maybe sneaking in on the top five. Well, I've got a list. I, well, what, you, I, what else would you put in there? Because I think there's well, one that's a gold standard. Well, I, I, Forrest Gump is my number one. Okay. Because I, I just think it just goes through the gambit I, of like a history of like music. That, that's one of my top five. I, I think Goodfellas is the gold standard. I think Goodfellas and what Scorsese does Goodfellas with the is very good. Is, is um, really I good. think you also have, you know, The Departed, another Scorsese that's movie. That's a good one. I don't have it in the top five. I think... Uh, the Big Chill was one of the Big, first ones to yep. really do that. Big um, Chill was good. Good well, Morning actually, Vietnam is well, awesome. Um, actually, before the Big Chill even, and I think this would probably be in my top three or four, Apocalypse huh? Now. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I yeah. have none of those. Pulp Fiction is another great one. Pulp Fiction one. is a great Reservoir one. Reservoir Dogs is yep. a great one. Yep. But this one stacks up with all of those. From starting with all the the disco stuff all the way up through... You know, the the Sister Christian scene is amazing, and, and yeah. we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but so we get all this party fun music all throughout the party scenes, and then... Every, I mean, because everything's going great, right? They're all great. making like, money, they're all partying, they're all doing awesome. And this is a story as old as entertainment, right? It is, it is. It is. And, but then, uh, you know, guess what happens? They, Dirk Diggler gets introduced to Coke. Coke. Well, it, it, yeah, and, it's, it's you give... you. you Give in to your excesses. Right. And and pretty much once he starts doing a lot of coke, then, of course, all the, you know, Reed starts doing a lot of coke. You know, they hadn't had a lot of experience doing it before. Um, to put it just bluntly, Dirk Diggler can't perform as well on camera right, anymore. Right. And, and do you remember the scene where he was introduced to coke? Yes, that, it was, it was, a, yeah, it was from Amber Waves. Yes, and it was like a New Year's Eve, was it the New Year's Eve party? Well, it might have been the New Year's Eve party, and it's the same New Year's Eve party where the whole movie kind of takes this dark twist. Yes. Because everything up to this point, other than the opening scene with Dirk and his mother, or Eddie and his mom. Which is a, which is a brutal scene. I didn't it's, talk it's, about how hard that is It, it is, it's, so it, it, it's, it's bad. Um, everything since then, though, has been just very positive. Everybody's happy. Everybody's doing great. L.A., late 70s, partying, having a great time. And then we get to the New Year's Eve party, 1979, at Jack's house. Yep. And first, Dirk gets introduced to Coke yep. by Amber Waves. But then that's also the same night, and we mentioned this scene earlier, where William H. Macy's character... Uh, little, little Bill, Bill Thompson comes in and he sees his, his wife, wife with ag- another man again for you know and shoots her, shoots the guy, then walks out to the party and shoots himself. And as soon and it's not terribly graphic, um, but and, and before that happens too at that same party, isn't that the one where Scotty kisses Dirk, takes him? Out well, of that might have been a, a different party, but yeah, there is a party too where Scotty is taking Dirk out to meet, or he wants to show him show his, his car. car. And he, he totally Puts starts like, making him. out with him. Yeah. And Dirk actually kind of handles that like pretty cool. Yeah, he's you know, really... Dirk, 
but we also meet Todd Parker at this party, mm-hmm. who's going to play a, a role here, you know, kind of here in a little bit. It's so weird. I went to college with a dude named Todd Parker. Yeah. Um, was he a male stripper? Not to my knowledge. All right. Well, you know, he might have been behind the scenes. Who knows? But um, did not have a porno stash like this Todd Parker. Yeah. But this the movie just abruptly turns because once William Macy shoots himself, pops on the screen, completely black screen, and it says something like 1980. 1980. Yeah. And so now we're in the 80s. Right. And things just start going downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you know. Dirk can't perform anymore. And there's a new they guy, bring there's a new, new kid guy on in. set, right? Like, and yep. so he's getting usurped by this younger, more dynamic individual. Johnny Doe. So dumb. Johnny Doe. That's so and, dumb. And Dirk first is kind of jealous that there's a new guy because Amber Waves is paying more attention to the new guy. Right. But then next thing you know, he's getting into a big fight with Jack. Mm-hmm. And essentially they get into a big fight and Jack like kicks him out. Right. Kicks him out of the house. And so Dirk's on his own now for the first time in a few years. And and you mentioned this earlier, but Dirk and Reed and Scotty, they all decide to form a band and try to cut a single, which was awful. I wish I could remember the lyrics. But it was like, you got that. It actually, I think it's a real song. Yeah, is they, it really? I but think it's so it might bad. be. It's so bad. It's so terrible. Um, and then this is also where we see what you talked about earlier, where the other guy comes in and tells Jack, He's like a, a, a movie theater mogul from right. San Francisco and tells him, hey, you got to start recording on videotape. This is the way it's going. And Jack's like, I don't want to do it because a, a film and Colonel, who we haven't talked much about, but he's the producer of Jack's movies, So he's the money guy. He gets busted for child pornography. And so now Jack's lost his money. So now Jack has to work for the San Francisco guy right. and start making these videotape movies. Everything is going bad for everyone. Um, and we get to like this kind of climax and not the climax you would expect in a porn movie. Correct. But it's brilliantly done. Yes. Yes. There are t- my two favorite scenes in this movie are at this point. Um, and one of them is the scene where, and, and correct me, which one comes first? Is it the New Year's Eve scene or is it the... The scene where he gets beaten up, or is it the... Oh, no, New Year's Eve scene's already happened. No, there's another one, though. Oh. Because um, isn't that the, the scene where Roller Girl is rolling around in the back of the... Okay, so so here's what happens. Okay, so we get we get this kind of a very unique kind of bookend, 20, 30-minute long scene yeah. that Anderson does here brilliantly. Uh-huh. So here's the first bookend. Um, we had talked earlier about Buck Swope and him wanting to kind of legitimize himself. Right. So he goes to the bank with his wife. He married a porn star, mm-hmm. but they're very clean cut porn stars. Right. You know, they, they look at, he's wanting to get a loan so he can start his record store and get and get out of the business. And so he's sitting at the bank and essentially gets turned down because they know he's from the porn industry and the bank doesn't want to associate themselves with a porn person. Right. So kind of a little sad moment. He gets turned down for his money. Then we move into this, and I don't know what the, the the official term is, but it's one of those scenes where there's two different things going on that go back and forth mm-hmm. between the two scenes. So yeah. one of those is what you just mentioned is there's a concept where Jack is going to ride around in a limousine with Roller, Roller Girl. And they're going to pick up a rando. Pick up a rando guy and film them having sex in the limo and make kind of like a you know, a little porn movie out of that, kind of like a spontaneous porn movie. Right. Simultaneously, 
Dirk Diggler is so far down in the dumps that he started prostituting himself. Mm -hmm. So then this scene kind of goes back and forth. And at some point, Jack and the roller girl pick up this guy and he gets in and he recognizes roller girl, somebody that he went to high school school. and she completely denies it. Right. And I don't know. I didn't go back and look to see if he's one of those dudes that was in the class where she skated out of the test and is like, I'm done with high school. It could be one of those guys. I didn't look at that. That would be a good detail. Yeah, that's that would be a really good detail. But he but he says, oh, I know you from high school. And she's like, no. And. Then they, you know, it, they're filming it all, and, and Jack is the MC, like, he's the total Bob Barker and setting it all up, and, um... Yeah, and then it switches it, over to a scene where Dirt gets picked up... Yep. ...by and, this guy in a pickup truck that essentially wants to watch Dirt pleasure himself. Because mm-hmm. if, if you don't know this movie, and we haven't brought it up yet, why Dirt Diggler became so famous so quickly in the industry is because he has, um... A rather large yeah, I, I, I think apparatus. Julianne Moore said it best it, it, earlier in the pod. <laughs> yes, that's right. You did say that earlier in the pod. You did. Yeah. So that was uh, I, 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 I yeah. So he's, those vulgarities, Jim. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Watch yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. So you've got these two things going on at the same time, and this was kind of a popular thing in film at the time because it's so it, it so it, it devolves on each side, right, to where ultimately. Dirk gets jumped by some other guys and they, and they beat him up because, you know, they, they they don't like him and they're calling him gay slurs. And on the other side, the the guy that gets into the limo is a little bit too aggressive and they kick him out and they beat him up and Roller Girl stomps his throat with her roller skates and then this is where it's it's and all This is the second bookend. Yeah. And so, the, and, yeah. and so the limo drives past the parking lot where Dirk is laid out, and at the same time, there's a Volvo driving the other direction, and what we don't know is in that Volvo is Buck and his lady, and they're just going to get some donuts. Right, and this is like, you know, a few hours after they got their bank loan turned out. Right. Right, so they they go to this donut store. Yes. And he gets, what, some bear claws? Whatever, like, he's getting a long john, he might get a cream filled, it's just, you know, we just got turned down for a loan, just bring it all to me. Right, yeah, give me a donut. And And guy comes in. Holds the place up. Give me all your money. Yep. Unbeknownst to everyone else, there's uh, a guy sitting at the table who's packing, whether he's an officer or whatever. So he pulls out his gun, and shots are fired. And basically, in a very Tarantino-style or John Woo-style move, this scene, everybody's dead except for Buck and his girl. And there's a well, sack the of money. The girl never came in. She stayed oh, in the car. Oh, she's in the car. There's and, a and, sack and of money. also in a Tarantino-style buck is wearing a white suit because that's what he wore mm. for the bank thing. So, of course, the blood splatter yeah. and the, the, the brain spot you know, yeah. stuff was just – he was covered in it. And, of course, he's, like, freaked out for, like, a second or two. And then he's like, oh, wait, there's a big bag of money right big there. Big wad of cash on the, on the, on the floor. And yeah. uh, watching this, my wife – I guess she forgot what happened. She's like, oh, no. Oh, yeah, he's taking it. Oh, yeah. He's taking he the cash. It. He took the cash, and he left. And, and and so that scene ends, But then, and you think, wow, that was dramatic. Yes. But then we move almost immediately into really what the real climax of the Dirk Diggler story is, where he and Todd, his new friend Todd Parker, mm-hmm. and Reed decide that they're going to make some money because they're really broke by 
Cheating a drug dealer. Selling fake Coke to selling a drug fa- dealer. Selling Coke that's been cut way too much with baking soda or something. I This is my favorite scene in the whole movie. And this scene actually is um, loosely based upon the Wonderland murders. Uh, are you familiar with that? Yeah, well, and John Holmes was involved John in that. John Holmes was involved in that. He, yeah. he was arrested. I think he was tried and, and acquitted. They never solved this. Um, but it was some murders um, that happened. And so basically... You get these three guys going up to to this drug lord's house, and they're selling him some coke, and it's this surreal sort of a scene because he's got a large, overweight black man as his bodyguard, and and the drug guy is wearing a speedo and a robe, and then there's now this, what was this? We've seen this actor before. Yes, he, he, he was in one of the Spider Man. He was the villain. He was the octopus yeah. villain in the Spider Man movie a few years ago. It, was that him? Okay, yeah, that yeah, was him. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you, Alfred you, Molina? Is it Alfred yeah, Molina? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Alfred Molina. Molina. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and yep. so, and then you've got this little Asian guy running around shooting firecrackers off. And the first time I watched this movie, it was one of those scenes where I was so uncomfortable because I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, here we go. You guys have no clue what you're doing. You're going in there. You're passing off fake coke. The they're, they're playing Sister Christian, and the drug dealer guy is, is like he's all getting into it. And in the midst of all of that, they're pop, dun, 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 pop, and it's so, so edgy. Well, and what, so so two things interesting about the movie. So they play Sister Christian, and they play oh, what's the other song that they play during that? It's a Journey song. So number one, all those songs that they play, Alfred Molina didn't even know he never heard them before. Because he's English or British or oh, somewhere yeah. European. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So number one, he didn't even know the songs. He had to. He spent three days learning the songs so he could kind of sing and dance yeah, along to. Yeah. And number two, the little guy that was like lighting the firecrackers mm-hmm. off of candles and throwing them, you'd never see Alfred Molina flinch, right, at all during the whole scene. And it, when you watch this scene, I was flinching. Oh, I, I was like jumping out of my seat. Like yeah. it's it's one of those great moments where you are not sure what's going to happen. And uh, it's super uncomfortable because everything that's happened in this movie, you're not really sure. Like, maybe they're all going to die here and this is going to be the end of the film, right? Um, but ultimately... Well, here's the funny thing is they actually are pretty close to getting away with the coke co- deal. Yes. And and Todd gets greedy. Todd gets greedy and Todd, like, pulls a gun out that he had brought and is like, hey, I know you have a safe in your bedroom right. under the bed. I want what's in that too. And he's like, I turn to the bodyguard. He's like, I know you have a gun. Don't pull it. Next thing you know, a bunch of shooting happens. Todd gets shot. The bodyguard gets shot. Molina runs out with a shotgun and chases uh, Dirk and Reed and he, out of the place. He's popping and shooting the, shooting the car up. The glass now, out of his Corvette. Now, one thing that you'll notice in that scene is the Corvette is actually dented. Dented, yes. In the front. And there was actually a scene. That, a cut scene. A cut scene from the movie where Dirk actually wrecks his... Corvette runs they, into a phone booth, right? Runs into a phone booth or like phone pole or something like that. Yeah, and they end up cutting that scene, right. but then they kept in the wrecked car. The wrecked car. Yeah, but uh, Dirk and Reed. Dirk actually leaves Reed, and we never hear about this later. Now we know Reed survives because right. he's later in the movie, but Dirk just leaves him. <laughs> you know, um, and so Dirk sent rock bottom at this point. Mm-hmm. And the next scene we see is he shows back up at Jack's house. Jack, I'm sorry. I need help. I need, I need help. help. And he says it over and over again. I need help. And what's Jack do? He takes care of him. He helps him he out. He does. So it's this beautiful character that Burt Reynolds is. And um, he is the shepherd of this massive family of misfits 
this dysfunctional group of people, and yet he finds a way to have compassion, finds a way to to herd them all in the same direction. And it's very much a redemptive arc for Dirk. You know, like he's this guy who... Jack makes him a star. He falls from grace. Jack brings him back and gives him, you know, another chance. It's very much a redemptive arc. It's very much a God and man sort of a thing, if you want to think about it that way. Um, And Paul Thomas Anderson said... And this is getting just a little ahead because as we close out, we we see everybody at the end. Yeah. But he said everybody at the end of this movie is basically the same as they were at the beginning of the movie. He said there's a little bit of change, but it's not like somebody does this big 180-degree turn, which I think is part of the beauty of this movie. Because how many times do we see the bad guy turn around and become a good guy? Or how many times do we see that? But real life is... We are generally what we are, and if and I think this is a movie more less about porn and more about redemption and more about finding your place with similar people than it is about porn. Like I think that's what I think the ultimate thing. Yeah, is and, and you know, and I don't even you know, redemption is an okay word, and that obviously yeah, it's, is it's what a, comes to a, mind. But it's it's more to me. It's more about you know everybody in this movie except for Jack. Jack's stable the whole way through has like, like some type of flaw that they expose about themselves. Mm-hmm. They have to manage through it. Some better, some worse than others. But then to your point, they eventually get back to their baseline self. Yeah. Which is okay. Cause I think most people, the majority of people our baseline cells are okay. Not that we're not flawed. Right. Everybody is flawed, but our baseline selves, most of us are good, decent people at our core that just want to, you know, make it to the next day in life right. and have relationships and have friends. And, and we, you know, and we uh, have yeah. our, and we have our failures that we right. obsess about. And we have, and we, we all just want to find, most of us have our family. We have our life. Um, but these they, people, these are people, on the outside. These, these people yeah, don't, don't, the characters, their, their family is Jack and Amber. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly right. And this you could you could spin this as a cautionary tale if you want to because it could certainly be be construed as that. Um but I think it's more about, you know, finding those relationships that add value and make you feel protected, make you feel safe, make you feel like you can be yourself and understanding that there's boundaries within those yes. relationships mm-hmm. cuz dirt crossed those boundaries. Of course. Definitely. Um but that you know that that's that's kind of it's not I'm a terrible person and I'm having to like be saved as much as it's like I kind of strayed from the flock a little bit mm-hmm. and when I come back it's very prodigal son yes I, I agree I totally agree with it yeah and and these I think one of the beautiful things about this movie is these people all um, like I said they've totally taken any of the emotional attachment to sex and thrown that away but there's a ton of emotional attachment to other things whether it's amber and her son whether it's roller girl when she loses her mind when she sees that when that guy recognizes her from high school yeah. and puts her down like that's well that's there was a that moment wound. too with amber and roller girl roller, when they were doing yeah, yeah. tons of coke and yes, they kind of yes. had that kind of mother daughter moment yeah you're my mom and yeah. it, like there's a lot underneath there um Anyway. And, as, and as the movie wraps up, kind of to the point that it, that it doesn't 
take everybody back to a happy place. It just takes them back to where they were. But I think there is a little bit of a, uh, a happy place in there, too, because what we see happen is first Buck and his wife have their baby, mm-hmm. and that's all good. Um, I, I mentioned this at the very start of the podcast. This is the only time we see Jack ever show any affection. At mm-hmm. some point, he comes into Amber's room and kisses her on the shoulder and tells mm-hmm. her how awesome she is. Um, Reed actually starts doing a magic act. Yes. <laughs> which is hilarious. Hilarious. Great. And Dirk cleans himself up. He's preparing to go back to work, and he's doing his normal thing where he's in front of the mirror, reading his lines, doing his kung fu stuff. And he's, you know, he's actually dressed, oh, um... Like very, um, you know, total Don, Don Johnson. Johnson. He's Miami very Miami Vice. Vice. Yeah. Total yeah, Miami yeah. Vice. Um, and as the movie concludes, though, you get this one little bonus. Or let me say one big bonus. Yes. Uh, there at the end. Yeah, as right, the movie right. Ends. Yes, and, yes. Uh, and, I, and everybody that's seen the movie knows what I'm talking knows about. about yeah. And now you know he actually still has the yeah, prosthetic. Yeah, he got to keep it. Yeah. He got to keep. Mark Wahlberg actually he'll, has still has the prosthetic. He says it's kind of getting worn down. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, and to me, as much as I don't want to see another guy's junk, it kind of made the movie. Yeah. Because the whole time you're just like, because... Uh, that's what made him, and you're like, all right, really, you know? Well, yeah, everybody is in awe of it. Like from the first time, when first time Jack Horner sees, like, you're gonna be a star, kid. Yeah, and, and the yeah. ladies are all, and everybody is in awe. So you're like, what is this thing? Like, <laughs> yeah. is it golden? Like, what's <laughs> up? Shine? Yeah, <laughs> is it tattoo? Right. I mean, it's like, and it's not any of those things. It's just large. It's yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a ruler, basically. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise. And then that's how the movie ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. And that's it. And that's a perfect ending. Right. It's great. It's great. And, you know, and I think it, it, it just, it, it, it really just kind of, it, it's a roller coaster movie. And, you know, at the end of the roller coaster, when all the thrills and chills are over and you're kind of cruising in, chick, 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 mm-hmm. to get off the ride and you're just kind of relieved, but you're kind of like, kind of looking back over your shoulder over all the hills you just yeah. went over. That's what looking at Dirk Diggler's junk was like. Yeah, basically so. It's like, all right, we're getting off this ride now. I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's right. Um, so so that's the end of it. Um, let's go back into some of the performances in this movie just in terms of like where they stacked up with the Oscars. I'd like to go back yeah. and see who was nominated, who won, those kinds of things. So we, we talked about Burt Reynolds being nominated for Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. He did not win. Do you know who won that year? 97 now. Yeah. Robin Williams, Goodwill Hunting. Well, yeah, that's a better I can live with that. Like, yeah, that's, I, I, I can I, live I, with yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good, yeah, that's a great performance. Yeah, I yeah. agree. No, no issue there. Supporting actress Julianne Moore uh, was nominated. Um, the winner that year was Helen Hunt for As Good As It Gets. And I, and, and Jack Nicholson won Best Actor for that film, too. I, I think that was like one of the. I, it's an okay movie. It's, it, it was not an it's, Oscar. It's not that good. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I I wanted to like it, and it's not that good. I'm not saying that Helen Hunt was wasn't better than Julianne Moore. I can't speak to that because I haven't seen it in forever. But man, that movie wasn't that good. I mean, I'm not gonna say it wasn't that good. It was it was a good movie. It just wasn't like an Oscar level. We're gonna right. sweep the Oscar type. Right. Sweep the act, well, best actor. And the other yeah. thing. The, the, other, the other problem that this movie came up against, uh, not in the acting categories, was this was the Titanic year. So Titanic yeah. won 
Everything. All the big things, except for those those few. Well, and numbers. that reminds me because you know, of course, Leo was wanted for this movie too. Yes, yep. and, and he turned out for Titanic. Turned what, turned were, what was the other movie that we've done on the podcast that Leo had to turn down because he was doing Titanic? There was another one. You remember by chance? I don't remember off the top of my uh-huh. head. Um, well, we're doing lots of movies in the '90s, which means there's going to be a lot of movies that Leo turned down. Turned down. down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, now, uh, also, you know, talking about um, Warren Beatty and Cindy Pollack both turned down the Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, right? Right. And, and Samuel Jackson turned down the the Don Cheadle role. You know, there are a lot of people that were. Invited to be a, a part of this movie or interested in being a part of this movie that really, once they heard what the movie was about, quick exit. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, well, and, I mean, Burt Reynolds even turned down the Burt Reynolds role. Um, <laughs> that's true, that's true, he did. But, yeah, and and honestly, I can't imagine this movie better with any of those changes, right? I can't imagine uh, Buck being played better by Samuel Jackson oh, than no. by Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle yeah. is the perfect he was he was person for that role. He was fantastic in this movie. Um, now here's a little fun fact, um, because I know we have listeners in South Korea. Do you know this movie was banned in South Korea for no, two years? No, yeah, it was banned until 1999 in South Korea. So I, I, if anybody has any stories about that, oh, I'd love to hear that. Love to I'd, hear those. I'd love to hear about some bootleg watching of Boogie Nights in 1998 or something. Right, exactly. Um, what were some other Oscars? You have anything else on the? No, Oscars? I don't. I really don't have much on that. Paul Thomas Anderson was nominated for original screenplay. Um, didn't win. Uh, otherwise, it, it's it, the big things were the, the actors that that won the supporting versus the, the actors yeah. in this film. And otherwise, there was a whole lot of Titanic, and yeah. that gets a little boring. Well, you know, and earlier I talked about. Um, so uh, you know, and I think this movie might have been hurt by a couple of things. Obviously, I think people were a little uncomfortable with the, the porn for sure. stuff. Also, it was a little bit long of a movie. It, it it ran almost two and a half hours. Yeah, but 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 I have contended for a long time that it, the best runtime for a movie, if you want to really tell a story, is two twenty. Like yeah. you can't and do it in less than two twenty. So this was pretty right around there. Yeah, right. So you can't you really can't tell a great story in less than about two hours and twenty minutes. Oh. I think. Um, well, and I mentioned earlier, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson's box office history. This was actually one of his profitable ones. I think I said that. And he did okay, $15 million budget, made 43.1. So, you know, close to tripling his money. You know, not bad. Um, I, I don't have the notes in front of me, but I think he spent, I can, I, even as big as this cast was, I can see how he could get it in with 15. Yeah. Um, but I think he only spent like 25 or 20 on There Will Be Blood. How did he get Dan and Lewis? I don't know. And, and have a penny left to do anything yeah, I don't know. at that point. But that's neither here nor there. So, I mean, what, you know, this was against Titanic. I mean, that's that's the big one that year. Like, yeah. as good as it gets was the other, you know, big one. I mean, well, like if it was Good Will Hunting was that year, good Will too. Hunting, yeah. And I, I actually, I mean, listen, I'm not a Titanic fan, but I appreciate Titanic for what it is. So I would obviously put Titanic ahead of this movie. What were I, the would other, too. I would, too. What were the other, like, I would best too. pictures that year? So it was Titanic. The Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, L.A. Confidential, and As Good As It Gets. I, I, mm, I never saw The Full Monty. But I, I thought it was good, but I wonder if that's really good. Like, I wonder if it's better than Boogie Nights. Yeah, and, and the rest of them I can understand. You know, uh, Goodwill Hunting's a great movie. Goodwill Hunting's, like I've said before, Goodwill Hunting's in my top five movies. Great movie. L.A. Confidential was really good. L.A. Confidential good. was fantastic. Really good. R- yeah. 
And as good as it gets, like, uh... yeah, I, I mean, it's okay. it's a good movie, and I understand. I mean, because if I recall, and I could be wrong about this, Nicholson really hadn't done much in a while. Yes, the, it, yeah, like he, since like Witches of Eastwick or something like that. Right. He had he was he had been kind of off the radar, so he comes back in this massive lead role in this romantic comedy opposite Helen Hunt, who, who is huge, huge coming right time. off the TV show. At the right. Time. That's exactly right. Might still so. be on it. And also, you know, L.A. Confidential is actually a quasi-sequel to Chinatown. Correct. And so there's probably kind of some buzz, some Jack Nicholson buzz going on there. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Full Monty. Who was even, who was that? It was an English movie. I, it was right. Nobody was it Richie Gervais? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, may, I don't even know who was in that. Um, Ricky Gervais, whatever his Ricky name is. Uh, Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. Oh, yeah. He was on that show that uh, Once Upon a Time, he was like... Uh, Rumpelstiltskin yeah, or something yeah. and, like and that. Tom Wilkinson's in that too as an older guy, but it's it, it it's a cute movie. It was it was fun, but I'm not sure. It, it was one of those like, oh, that got nominated. That's kind of good. Yeah. But then you look back at some of the other ones, you're like, is that really one of the five best films? And yeah. again, if we had the Oscar system like we do today, where they could nominate up to ten, Boogie Nights probably gets put in that that pool. Oh yeah, I think it was ten because I, I I would have to like look, and I'm not gonna do that right now. Like, were there other movies in '97 that you know should have been in that yeah, weren't? Yeah. You know, there there obviously could have been. But I mean, I think the, in in this movie too, you know, this is a perfect example, at least from my standpoint. I've, I I saw this movie one time. Mm-hmm. I have not seen it since. Okay. So as far as you know, our whole podcast of looking at movies from you know pre two thousand kind of college days, post college, right after college, and determining you know are those movies still as good as we remembered them being? This is like a perfect example or a perfect um, fit for kind of our a concept. concept for yeah. The, yeah, for this show. Um, you know, some of the other movies I I. You know, I've seen maybe a little bit here and there, but this one, not seen a second of it since the first time I watched it, and I only watched it once back then. Mm-hmm. I had seen, I saw it in the theater, and I'd seen it two or three times since then, but I bet I haven't watched it in ten years. Yeah. Um. So how's it holding up? I think it's really good. I think it holds up very, very well. I think it's different. I think twenty years of life have made me look at it differently. Like I think that at twenty five, when I watched it, it was. I was really kind of engrossed with how amazing that party scene was. At 47 years old, I'm like, okay, it's there's a little bit of it's a little sad in some spots, like kind of where these characters are and everything that they the, the things they're missing in life, but so that's the emotional piece, but as far as just watching it as a visual and entertainment piece, it's still really, really good. Yeah, the acting are, is brilliant. The and there were some like great scenes that we didn't even talk about, like you know, because when they were like partying, it would be at the dance club, and they would like do a dance number, mm-hmm. and you expect Mark Wahlberg can dance, you right? Know, right, you know, Marky Mark. But then like you know, John C. Riley's back there, like busting like, the move it done. Too, yes, you know, and it's like there's just some great little scenes that just really encapsulize um, what things were like for this type of people during that time and during that location, which is a very small speck in like everybody else's existence. That's exactly right. Like I have thought, like, I think we all are guilty of this and looking back in time and thinking, Oh, back in 1977, everybody was putting on their John Travolta suit and going out to the disco on Saturday night, except that not really. Like yeah. our parents weren't doing that, and yeah. it just it's it's it, and that's not even getting into this is the porn world, right? Like right. these guys were doing that and then going to shoot porn. 
Um, so it's a it's a very small capsule for sure. Yeah, and and it but it but it's a unique look, and I think it's done well. And now, and I couldn't tell you how accurate it was. I don't know. I don't know, but it seemed realistic enough to me. There was nothing in there to where I was like, "Yeah, that probably didn't happen." Right. Right. Yeah. Right, right. To me, it seemed very. Um, yeah, this could have happened, and if this is based loosely off of a true story, I totally get it. Yeah, I agree. I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree. Yeah. So when would you watch this again? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know if I really need to watch it again anytime soon. Um, you know, it's... I thought it was a really well-done movie, but it does that, you know, once again, going back to that roller coaster analogy, it's like the the... the the val it gets dark really quick and it stays dark for a while. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I know what's going to happen next, right? Well, that's part of it, right? Like, right. You know, yeah, there's like no part su- of this. This movie. was a little bit of a surprise for me on some of it because I didn't remember it all. Right. Part of the beauty of this movie is you're not really sure where it's going when you watch it the first time, yeah. and then or if you, or if you haven't watched it for a very right, long time, right? On subsequent watches, if you know what's coming, it's fine. But it's it's, yeah. it's not like one of those where where you can just kind of revel in what's going on in the movie, right? It's not like, like Godfather, where Godfather, it's like you yes. know, where you're like, oh, it comes on every Saturday. Oh, I can catch thirty. I can minutes watch of that. Oh, yeah. I'll watch The Departed again. Oh, I, can watch, I can watch The Departed every night, yeah, of the all day, week. right? Yeah, yeah. right. It's, it's not like well, that at all. Yeah, no, no. So yeah. I can go years without watching this again. Oh, absolutely. If you have not seen it in a long time and you liked it the first time around, I would probably say give it another shot. Um, but yeah, it's not a, and, 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 you know, I always thought that maybe the reason we didn't see it on cable TV a lot was just because of the content, but you could, you could still take a two twenty movie and like you edit it down, it, edit it down, fit in a two hour block, and right. put that on TV, it, it, put it on TV, but you don't see it a lot. And I think it's because it's not, there's not enough that holds you there consistently throughout the production. Yeah, it's not rewatchable on a regular scale. No, no, that's the big thing with it. It's not that at all. Yeah. So, um, all right, final grades. Um, I'm going to give it a B. I agree, 100. percent B is correct. Yeah. Um, and and basically, it's just because of the the roller coaster, like you talk about the the lack of rewatchability. Uh, the script is great. Script the is great. Is Actors great. are great. The music Characters, is great. Yeah, a lot Everything of really good things about it. Great about it. But it's not rewatchable. Which number one, it's not going to get an A if it's not. If you yeah, if if you watch it today and don't want to watch it again in a week, it's probably not an A movie. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and if you're like watch it today and you're like that was really good. Well, if you watch it today and you don't want to watch it. Again, for a long time, it'd be a C. But if you watched it today and you're like, it's good, but I don't want to watch it again for a while, then it kind of wins B. Right, right. Um, And that's not bad. I mean, B movies are fine. No, like, that's kind of what you... I would say that's the bulk of really good movies fall into that that B category uh, after 20 years. And, I mean, you just don't want to be on the... On the floor, right? But would you? But you would if if you you would still recommend it for somebody that has not seen it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. If you've never yeah. seen this movie or it's been fifteen years, totally watch it. It's right. And I'm, what would you say to the people that watch this movie every two weeks? What is wrong with you? Watch real porn. Like what? What's <laughs> wrong with you? <laughs> Just go watch some real porn. Right, There's right. plenty of real porn out there these days. It's not like when we were kids and I found like a dirty magazine at the you know outside in the woods outside the baseball stadium. It was the first time I saw a topless lady. Do you remember when? <laughs> I mean, it's. Do you remember uh, when 
you you'd get you'd have those scrambled channels on cable. Oh and yeah, you'd be oh, like, sure. Oh, this is a dirty movie. I got it, and you're like staring to just to try to catch a glimpse of one little bit of boob. <laughs> right, and just be like, yeah, little, yeah, little thing. And they're like two or three of them. You like try to switch back and yeah. forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's it's a different I, world. I, I, remember I had this friend like in sixth grade, and uh, we were, went down to his basement to listen to a Jimi Hendrix album that he had, and it was like the coolest album ever. It was like blue vinyl. I think I've told you about this before, mm. but on the uh, the label in the middle of the the vinyl actually had a topless girl and yeah. it's like whoa you know and it's like i mean sixth graders these days are seen like you know boobs are everywhere yeah you yeah. know so it's like <laughs> you know if, if you're going to boogie nights yeah, for like, porn fetish like, it's like you, you you're just you're that's a problem that's a problem right. yeah. That's yeah, a problem. yeah 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 because yeah. kids today are like send me a naked pic and then bring me a jewel yeah exactly <laughs> now if you're going to boogie nights for your roller skate girl fetish in if that's your bag <laughs> that's your thing. this is probably the best movie ever made for you yeah if you want to see a naked girl on roller skates best ever best ever best, best ever. ever all right so but it was a it was still fun it was super still fun. fun super fun. fun i'm glad we did this one this is yeah a good one. this was a good one. this one was your all's call uh, or your call um so and uh, and you know so and i think it's a good compliment to our season so far we've kind of been yeah, all over the place all over the place as usual so We've got some interesting things coming up. We might go uh, east of the Iron Curtain at some point soon. Yeah. Um, we got some other interesting Thinking stuff. Maybe some sports stuff. Sports movie, maybe. Know. We got a Christmas film we've got planned yeah, to throw yeah, in there coming up for the holidays. holidays so. We were we were trying. We were wanting to do a Thanksgiving movie, but there's just really not a lot it's, of choices. Yeah. There's really not a lot of choices. No, and Charlie Brown just doesn't work for the pod. Oh my goodness! Oh, did you watch the Charlie Brown Halloween special the other day? No, I haven't seen it in forever. But, I mean, I've seen it, but I, I, I haven't seen it on TV. Like, I bought it, the DVDs for my kids. All right, so I'm going to totally, like, derail, and you're totally going to delete this from the pod. All right, Snoopy is definitely on acid. <laughs> I mean, it was, like, the normal, like, they're searching for the great pumpkin. Yeah. Everything's, like, normal. Pigpen shows up. Everything's good. <laughs> they're going trick-or-treating. And all of a sudden, it's like Snoopy. There's a scene where Snoopy's doing this whole Red Baron thing for 10 yeah. minutes. Oh, yeah, And yeah, there's, yeah. like, colors flashing around. And then it goes right back to trick or treating again, and I'm like, "What the heck just happened?" Well, it's like Snoopy just did an acid trip. <laughs> they only had 12 minutes of content; and they needed to stretch it to 18. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So Charles Schultz said, uh, "Like, let's just put Snoopy on the red." Whatever, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I love Charlie Brown. Yeah. No hatred there. Yeah. All right, so let's wrap it up. Um, we appreciate everybody that's listening. We hope you're having a great fall. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you watch Boogie Nights. Um, find us at all of our social media outlets, whether it's the website, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook. Um, we want to hear from you. We're having a great time doing it, and uh, we will be back in two weeks. What you got? Well, I was just going to say, and it's real simple, too, because somebody asked me this week. They were like, hey, you know, how can I find your pod? And I was like, hey, just go to iTunes and put in, is that movie still good? Pops it's straight there. up. It's, it's, it's that simple. iTunes. Every, yeah, uh, that's simple. Uh, Google. Um, it's on Stitcher, it's Player FM, like if uh, Podcoin, anything that you listen to. Yeah, real it. easy to find. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so when you're telling your friends about it, you know, make it keep it simple for them. Yeah, basically, again, if if they can order from Amazon, they can find our pod. Yeah, um, or if everybody, they have an iPhone. Yes, everybody can order from yeah. Amazon. So, and if you guys have ideas, we're we're always interested in absolutely, hearing them. absolutely. Yeah, we'd love your feedback. Yep. So, um, thanks again for listening. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this one. We hope we haven't scarred anybody with all of the wiener talk. Um, but we will see you again <laughs> next time. Put on your boogie shoes. This is, is that movie still good? <laughs>